pointed and insightful. This is Stacy on the Right on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. Now, Stacy Washington. Urban Family Talk. Guess what's happening right now? Well, quite a few things. We are doing a live show, obviously, so bear with us. Keep us in your prayers. <laughs> we have a lot of things going on in the electronicals, the interwebs, down in Tupelo uh, through one of the providers that services all of the syndication. So just bear with us today on the show. If you're listening on the app and it's dropping or anything, you can go to one of the other Alternative means of listening, which primarily AFR.net, UrbanFamilyTalk.com. Those are great places to go to live stream the show. You can even do that on your phone. So if you're used to using the app, I'm sorry, we until that's resolved, it doesn't have anything to do with us in particular. It's the service provider. Um, today on the program, we have a, I have so much to talk to you about. I just have so much to get into, and I'm so excited to get to to get into it. Really, um, first off. We're going to be talking about the Manafort juror. Her name is Paula Duncan. She actually showed up on Shannon Bream's show last night, and she was a fascinating interview. A Trump supporter, and she said she wasn't afraid of any threats or any crazy stuff like that, so she was going to come out and uh, let her side of things be known and kind of speak, um, you know, at least for her portion of what happened in that jury room, and it was riveting uh, conversation between she and Shannon Bream. And then we also have today Mason Weaver. He's an author and pundit and political commentator. And he just happens to be uh, a St. Louis metro area resident, as I am. So it's going to be fun to catch up with him and talk to him about news of the day. And there's a lot of it, a ton of news of the day going on. So right now, I, I, I want to also, we have another guest in hour two, Jeff Dickens. He's going to be on with us today. He's from Newsbusters. And... Um, I know you guys are going to be shocked by this. You're totally going to be like off the rails when you hear that Jeff is going to tell us just how many minutes have been spent on the coverage of the Manafort trial in comparison to other things. Yeah, it's biased. It's way out of whack. And he's going to come on and talk to us about that. So right now, listen, you got to go to StaceyOnTheRight.com and hit the subscribe button. And you got to hang with us over at Twitter and Instagram and all that good stuff. Because they're trying to clamp down on our voices, and the only way to stop that is for you to be there with us and you know hitting those notifications, see no, see first notifications, et cetera, et cetera. So, it is, in my opinion, just simple knowledge that campaign finance violations um, are not the law on that is not applied equally. Now, when we talk about the Cohen mess that's going on with, you know, Cohen flipping on the president's quote unquote, um, trying to save his own neck, quote unquote. It, so when someone flips on someone else, it doesn't necessarily mean that the person they flipped on, who is the true target of the investigation, who nobody cares about Cohen or his finance violations, if they did, Rosie O'Donnell would also be under indictment. Um, then the, it's really not about Michael Cohen. The only thing they want him to do is say things they want to hear in the pursuit of getting Donald Trump. Now, when you look at it that way, a lot of other things become perfectly clear, like the Manafort issues. So everyone keeps acting as if the guilty verdict for Manafort on eight of the 18 counts 
means that somehow the president is guilty of something. Paul Manafort and the president didn't have a close relationship before he called on Manafort for his services for the brokered convention that they thought was going to be the case at the Republican Party National Convention. They thought that it was going to be a brokered convention and that establishment elites were going to be able to get enough votes to usurp what they saw as their victory, which it, it, it went exactly as they planned. They won the nomination. But instead of having it brokered, it didn't happen. And part of the reason why a lot of insiders say it didn't happen is because those who thought they might be able to pull off a brokered convention and usurp the will of the American people on the right in selecting Donald Trump as the nominee, when they saw Paul Manafort come on the scene and they knew he'd been through a brokered convention before and that he was an expert and he was a fixer and a ringer, someone brought in specifically in the instance of the probability of this so-called brokered convention, it all fizzled out. And Donald Trump sailed through and was the party nominee. So then at the conclusion of that, Paul Manafort was summarily told, thank you for your services. You've been awesome. Here's your last paycheck. And see ya, because he wasn't a member of Trump world. Only members of Trump world who were new, newly introduced and performed well or were old Trump world affiliates, associates, what have you, remained after Manafort was gone. It was like a house cleaning. A whole bunch of people got dumped off including Manafort. Once he was gone, Kellyanne Conway, new to Trump world, but came in and performed, and others, they, they took the helm and led that campaign through to victory in November of 2016. So the idea that somehow old bank fraud allegations and you know all kinds of tax malfeasance and things that were going on with Paul Manafort 10, 15, 20 years ago that he's now being prosecuted for only because he worked on the Trump campaign. It's, this is not due to an audit or something, a uh, matter, of course, a routine through the IRS. The IRS missed all this stuff. All of a sudden, it's important because Paul Manafort can be connected closely by, by way of the campaign to Donald Trump. And what they were hoping for was that Paul Manafort would say, you know what, while I was on the campaign, I did hear Donald Trump talking about eliciting money from or support from the Russians. I did talk, hear him orchestrating the hack of the DNC. I did hear him co coordinating with them on the WikiLeaks, you know, the drip, drip, drip that WikiLeaks was doing with the e emails that, that, that were hacked from the DNC. I did hear him say, how can you help me materially impact this election, namely make me president? But instead of getting that from Paul Manafort, what they got was a stony wall of silence, and now he's been convicted on eight counts. Now, there's corresponding charges that come in on the other side of town. He's going to have to go through that trial next. But this is, this is pretty rough for him because, yes, according to this juror, the evidence was irrefutable that he committed the, the acts that he was convicted of, the bank fraud and all of that. But it's just, it's one of those things where, he actually was, it's not like he was sitting in the sidelines and saying, I want to be on Trump's campaign. They reached out to him because of his expertise and his background with that one brokered convention and that he knew his way around the Republican National Convention. And so because of that, he, obviously he committed some wrongdoing, but because of his affiliation with Trump, now he's being prosecuted on that, while other people who've done the same kind of wrong are strolling around you know, um, lackadaisically enjoying their lives, drinking their Starbucks and just getting just just doing the thing, being Americans. They're not going to be prosecuted because they don't have any ties to Donald Trump. Rosie O'Donnell has reared herself up again 
And now she's showing up on cable news talking trash. And she should be getting you know, uh, uh, indicted and prosecuted for her campaign violations. The same kinds. Hers are actually more severe than the ones that uh, Dinesh D'Souza was convicted of, which is why Donald Trump pardoned him. It's not so much that he didn't admit that he did something wrong. He went to jail for something that Rosie O'Donnell did more of, and she's walking around free, never been charged. And it's the same situation with, you know, theoretically, I, I won't say it's the same situation, but Hillary Clinton's not being prosecuted while Donald Trump has been held up and he's being vilified on a daily basis. And what we know that Hillary Clinton broke the law. We don't know beyond a shadow of a reasonable doubt. We don't, we don't have a conviction. We don't even have indictments. We don't even have charges or anything leveled against the president. But he's being held up as now the new term for him is unindicted co-conspirator. First of all, in order to be called an unindicted co-conspirator, that's a designation that's given to you by law enforcement that basically says, we have a lot of evidence against you and we strongly suspect that you're guilty, but we're not charging you because of, and then there's some valid reason why they're not charging. That is not the case here with the president of the United States. So now if you're, if you're thinking this through and if you're following it through to its logical conclusion, you can see why Rudy Giuliani and Jay Sekulow and others on the Trump team, legal team, do not want him to place himself in jeopardy by in being interviewed by Robert Mueller. Because if he got it wrong that he knew about the payments to Stormy Daniels, which as morally repugnant as you may find that, you know, and it is paying someone off that you had in a relationship with. I mean, it, that's that's like Hollywood type stuff, but it's not against the law. And so if if he did that, it's not about the campaign, because everyone who's on a campaign is trying to materially impact the election on behalf of that campaign because they're trying to win. Right. So let's 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 just break this down logically here for one more minute before we get to this audio. We have to get this down while everyone is prancing around on their cloven hooves going impeachment, impeachment and tossing their little heads back and, you know, popping the champagne and the bubbly. The fact is we have zero evidence that the president has done anything wrong. So perhaps he is. I don't know. He, perhaps he has said conflicting statements in the public eye, which it's problematic, but it's not a crime. But if he makes conflicting statements to Mueller or someone on the Mueller team in the investigation, that's a crime. If he says the truth to them, let's say he just goes in and tells them the truth, which is what we would hope that the president would do. They could have Cohen come in and say the opposite. Cohen could have already said things that are untrue. And if those things contradict and the prosecution believes Cohen, then that's a charge against the president that he has to defend. And that is where all of this gets super hairy. So I'm, I like to set these things up before we go into them. What, what we have going on now is you've got this Manafort juror and, and she's explaining the background on the jury decision, and I'm telling you, if you haven't seen it, go to therightscoop.com, therightscoop.com. Later on, after the show, obviously, take a, a watch because it's, it's interesting to watch her as she talks. You get the feeling that at, after listening to her statements that she really, she took this very seriously. She had to drive quite a lengthy distance round trip every day to deliberate. And so this was a commitment for her. And she said it was her civic duty. But this lady, Paula Duncan, she's giving you this insider view into what it was like on this jury and what these people were really like. And 
contrary to what the media would have us believe, that it was a bunch of, you know, rabid, you know, knuckle-dragging Trump supporters who were just like going, ooh, 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 and not, not really considering the evidence, or that it was a bunch of high and mighty elite liberal minds educated at the best Ivy League universities, seriously deliberating and considering everything that was presented to them because they had their high honor and civic duty to consider. Instead of it being that garbage... It was a bunch of Americans who knew they'd been called for jury duty and that the case could expose them to ridicule and personal jeopardy and chose to do the job anyway. And that they took it seriously regardless of their political affiliation because they thought if the law has been broken, it is our job to you know, convict on laws that were broken. Or if he's innocent, which he is until proven guilty, we are to set him free. So I, I'm, I'm not sure if we're going to get to both of these, but let's get to number two, Manafort jury juror paula duncan she's talking about the background on the jury decision it's number two okay so you said you wanted manafort to be innocent why because even his critics said he was a brilliant man at what he did and why wouldn't trump want him to help with the campaign um but you're a, you are a President Trump supporter. I am, very much so. So what did you think about the charges being brought against Manafort? Did you think, you said going in, you wanted to think that he was innocent. Did you think they were legitimate on the front end versus what you ultimately decided on the back end? Well, the charges were legitimate, but the prosecution tried to make the case about the Russian collusion right, right from the beginning. And of course, the judge shut them down on that. Mm -hmm. We did waste a bit of time with that shenanigans, but... Um, yeah. Did, did the president's name come up in jury deliberations? Was this politicized in any way? It was just because in the evidence um, there were references to Trump and to his son-in-law and to the Trump campaign, um, especially with the Steve Kalk and the pay-to-play issue. Uh, so, yeah, it did come up. Did you feel like there were jurors who were either like yourself, pro-President Trump or anti. And this, we'll return to it. Let's go to the break. And when we get back, we'll have Mason Weaver. Stay right there. of Redeem Clean felt God call him to support the American Family Association. I'm a laundryman. I'm the son of a laundryman too. I love clean clothes. I love the business. I love everything about it. This project was built exclusively to support AFA and AFR. There's no strings attached. Another thing that I would like to see come out of this is that I would like to see other business people feel a calling to support ministries wherever and whatever they do to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. In addition to your regular AFA giving, Redeem Clean Laundry Detergent allows you to increase your support of AFA just by continuing to wash your family's clothes. For clean laundry and support of a cleaner society, it's Redeem Clean. Learn more, find options, and get Redeem Clean products at afastore.net. That's afastore.net. 
Hi, I'm Crawford Loritz with a Legacy Moment. One day a close friend of mine was driving home after a very long, hard day at the office. He was exhausted. Unfortunately, he fell asleep at the wheel while driving on the expressway. He ran into an SUV carrying a mother and her three children. Both vehicles flipped over and were totally destroyed. Now here's the miracle. Everybody walked away with relatively minor injuries. Their lives were spared. Some of us have fallen asleep on the expressway of life. Perhaps you're listening to me right now and you're not sure about your eternal destination. You've ignored all the warnings. Or maybe you are a follower of Christ, but you haven't been following so closely lately. There is stuff in your life that you need to take care of, and God has been warning you. He has been saying to you, look, pay attention to this. In fact, the Bible teaches that our whole world is on a collision course and there will be casualties. Judgment is a sure thing, but God will spare and reward those who are faithful. Second Chronicles chapter 34, verses 27 through 28 gives a sobering word here. God has had enough of the compromise and sin of his people, and now he says it's time for judgment. He said to good King Josiah, Because your heart was tender and you humbled yourself before God, I truly have heard you, declares the Lord. Behold, I will gather you to your fathers, and you shall be gathered to your grave in peace, so your eyes will not see all the evil which I will bring on this place and on its inhabitants. Well, here's what I want you to remember today. God does not want you to perish. He wants to spare your life. Now, right now, settle the issue. Surrender your life to Christ. Legacy Moment is a production of Moody Radio, the ministry of Moody Global Ministries. Welcome back to Stacy on the Right on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. If you start arming teachers and you look at the statistics and say that there are black and brown students who are being um, who, who are being who are being disciplined more than their white counterparts, you could then start seeing statistics where potentially black students are getting shot or in accidents when their teachers are trying to shoot or trying to do gun safety measures. So there's this idea that the NAACP and other advocacy groups say not only are we looking at this as an issue issue, but it's also the idea that racially this could be a problem. That's you may see. Yamichi Alcindor, and she was on television uh, talking about the possibility, she's on MSNBC, talking about the possibility that if we arm teachers to defend them and them, themselves and our children against armed attackers and mass shooters, that somehow those same teachers who are all liberals, all members of the National Education Association, I'm just going by what they always tell us, all highly educated, highly trained, elite individuals who are better equipped to tell our children and teach them about morals and education and everything else than even their own parents. Those children are not belong to you. They are all are belong to all of us. Remember that one? Uh, the, these same upright individuals, paragons of virtue, people who are better than us by far, would also, if given the opportunity, just shoot up any black kids in the vicinity. You get that? You catch that? That's a that's that's that awesome double standard uh, liberalism right there. That's where your brain collides with itself because there's competing thoughts in there, and then, and none of the thoughts make sense, but they're opposing thoughts, thoughts that can't exist in the same space time continuum, and so little explosions happen. Not the synapses, not the synapses firing, but little explosions of whoa, yeah. 
So I want to talk about that and more with our next guest. We have Mason Weaver. He's an author of numerous books and really one of the best political commentators we have in this country on not just racial issues because he sports the permanent tan, but on issues that intersect our faith and our politics and how we walk that out on a daily basis. Mason, thanks for joining the show today. I am never politically correct, but always politically right. <laughs> I know. I love that. And this is important because I, I really need you to help me break this down. According <laughs> to Yamichi Alcindor, if teachers are armed, they're going to end up just shooting up a bunch of black kids all <sighs> over the place willy-nilly and forget the mass shooters. They're just going to be shooting kids during their safety exercises. And, public and, practice. Yeah, yeah. It's just going to be black kids everywhere getting shot up by their own teachers who we were told love them more than their parents do. Weren't we told that? Yes, yes. Now, now, now Stacey, here's the problem. Here's why you don't understand. You are a decent woman. <laughs> you, you, have a, you have a fallacy in life that, that – um, that, that things are as they are because of the goodness. Teachers, let's be honest, teachers in public schools, in inner city public schools, are child abusers. They're, they're pushing out kids. It's just gang prep. And they believe, liberals in general believe they own you. They're slave managers. It was a party of slavery. It's a part of the plantation. They believe you belong to them. And their job is to train your children to work for their children. And so they want you to desire to demand minimum wage, never maximum wage, to demand low-income housing, never high-income housing. They want you to think, as, as a black person, that every problem facing you requires white people to do something because you're, home, you're, you're helpless. They do not like you. And what you're doing as an educated, intelligent, articulate, loud-mouthed black woman, they can stand you, sister. Well, I know that much for sure because that's that's one of my mentions. I go on Twitter and I'm like, someone's like, you can't really be black. So <laughs> I tweeted, I I tweeted back. I was like, I'm I'm black. My husband's black. The kids are black, and all the and guns you are black. Husband, and you most of the guns are black. What's wrong with you? <laughs> yeah, and she got mad. The person who tweeted me that actually got mad and said, "Get out of my mentions," you know, profanity oh. and all that. She was triggered because I said my, most of my guns are black. Not all of them, but most of them. I was just joking because <laughs> obviously in her world, there are no people who think any differently than herself. So she stumbles across me on Twitter and says, I can't possibly be black because I've got to be like a made up avatar. Really? It's so wow. easy to Google and find yeah. out if I'm a real person. You can see videos of me. Either video has really come up a lot or I'm real. One or, one or the other. So that I'm, is bad lighting. It's bad lighting. I mean, look it, where you live. You know you're a white woman. Well, I guess so. Yeah, Here's I do live problem. out here in, they in, really, they in really the suburbs. They really expect us to <laughs> debate. What, what liberals are good at is assigning intentions, motives. They're saying, you do this because they give you the motive, because you hate black people, because you... And they can't tell the motives. They can't read your mind. Uh, liberals cannot tolerate anybody, any thought different from theirs, because they are led by their heart, not by their brain. And the heart tells them, we got to take care of you because they are superior. They're superior. After they tell you, they're superior to you. But out of the goodness of their heart, they're going to take care of you. Yeah, they, they know better than we do. And so yeah, they really there's it. that. They really and and I, I, I'm surprised that she would say that, not because she – so understand, Mason, I get it. She thinks that. You know, even well-meaning liberals, if given the chance, will kill black people because she believes the police are killing a ton of black people. And she believes that 
the well, most impressing you know, issue is that white people are killing black people when the statistics from the government show that's not that's not even close to the case. But it, it's not just that. It's like every issue we see them with, Mason, every issue, whether it's teachers, you know, ones who want to. They're not forced to carry guns. Just ones who want to be trained and certified can carry a firearm, whether it's that or whether it's the issue with the president that we're watching right now, where all the liberals actually think there's an impeachment imminent for President Trump because two people who were associated with him or worked for him at one point in their lives did wrong things on their own separate and apart from the president, and somehow that makes him guilty just because they were working together, one of them was his attorney, et cetera, et cetera. It's these leaps of fancy that I just can't understand. Again, that's the problem. You are based in reality. They're based in make-believe. They, they think we can visualize world peace. They think the same kinds that believe that man-made global warming is going to kill the kids. They, the, the truth is irrelevant to them. It doesn't matter. That's why, that's why I get so frustrated debating with them. The truth is irrelevant. They, they really know the truth. They know the truth. They reject the truth while knowing it is true, and they accept the lie knowing it is a lie. And so it's hard for you. It's, it's like trying to wake somebody who's pretending to be asleep. It really is. It's, it's worse than... than than that, because you can see the person squinching their eyes together and you know they're awake, but they just won't get up. It's like a game they're playing with you. And after a while, you start to feel a little crazy. And so well, let's, yeah, let's unpack this crazy. a little bit. Yeah. Our job is not to convince them. Our job is to tell them. And we spend too much time trying to convince them. You, you cannot go down. Someone asked on another radio program this week, do I ever come to the black community and, and tell them the truth? The reason black folks don't vote, don't vote Republican because we don't go and tell them. I said, why would I go down and talk to somebody who was throwing rocks at me and spitting in my face and confronting me at a restaurant? If you want to leave the plantation, if you want to leave that abusive man, if you want to leave the Democratic Party who's abusing you and your children, I can talk to you. I'm not going to debate with another grown person about their political beliefs because it's different from mine. They're wrong, but I can't help them. I can only help those who want to come to what I am. That's why the walkaway, my walkaway was 25 years ago, I wasn't walked away. I was smashed away by the truth. And, and, and you're talking some, th this is some serious, like this is a conversation that has to be had because a lot of times we hear, I, I've even been guilty of saying this myself. I'll go ahead and out myself first. I've said, you know, we don't have enough outreach from the Republicans to the black community. But the fact is the walkaway movement shows that when people get fed up with what they have, they will seek out another opportunity. And the information that we're talking about is out there. It's true. The truth is out there for anybody who's a Democrat, anyone who lives in the inner city, anyone who's going to a kid, their kids going to a school with no air conditioning that's unaccredited or provisionally accredited, anyone who sees their surroundings and says, you know, actually, the Democrats have been in charge of this for the whole time. Maybe I should check somebody else out. We're already here telling the truth. We already have everything they need. All they have to do is say, uh, email. It's as quick as a click of the button on your phone. All of a sudden, now you've got a whole bunch of people who are interested in helping you walk away. You all you got to do Our is take the first step. Is You're to right. A place for them to walk to. Mm -hmm. You cannot go and rescue folks. Even the Underground Railroad only took slaves who wanted to go to freedom. Nobody knocked on master's door to talk about those slaves. We have to be prepared for that abusive woman to leave that husband at three o'clock in the morning. We had better have a place for them. We cannot bring those clowns out. I'm not going to argue Al Sharpton and, and, and Louis Farrakhan. I'm not going to debate with Jesse Jackson. But when you want to leave, uh, listen, folks, they know. 
eight generations we've been supporting Democrats, mm -hmm. what have they done that we can brag about? They own Nothing. every ghetto in America. You're not blind. You're not stupid. You are voting for the best abuser. So I cannot help you be comfortable in your abuse. They're going to abuse you. You're going to get more of what you are asking for. Today, man, today is clear for bail. Um, a, a record employment rate, black high school dropouts are now working. Mm -hmm. And Democrats are saying, vote for us, we're going to take you back to slavery. They're promising to take the nation back to captivity. I cannot wait for November. You have a clear choice now, freedom or slavery. It's up to us. And they're talking about undoing the historic tax reform package that is now driving an economic boom to the tune of 4.1% GDP. They're yep. even, I've, I've had people on the show who I actually respect them and I think they have great knowledge and expertise, but they, in their minds, there's no way we can sustain this kind of growth. We have to go back to a 2.1% GDP. It has to happen. This time next year, we'll be back there. And it's fine for them to predict that because we don't know what's going to happen. You're Just like the polls didn't know Trump was going to be president. Same people, right? Yeah, well, the same people who didn't think Trump would be the president. The same, yep. it's, it's the yep. same group of yep. people, but it, th they just don't have any – there's no way to kind of penetrate that bubble and say, no, look, this is real. they know the truth. Basically, they know the truth. They, they thrive in poverty and misery. They thrive. You are a bright, beautiful rose bush, and they are fungus. They have to survive in darkness, and you have to thrive in light. They cannot even comprehend where you are. Prosperity, what you're saying to them is that you're going to make people independent of needing them, having their own income, taking care of their own family, having savings in their own bank. They can't comprehend that. They want people dependent, ignorant, scared, and, and looking to them to take care of them. These are slave managers. They will never comprehend what you're preaching. And so you're getting a lot of uh, a lot of love in the comments on the the Facebook stream. They love Mason Weaver. Um, you know, I love just, you all too. Yeah, they, they we have we have the best audience over here at AFR and Urban Family Talk. It's the but best. And the so, best that's a well, I, I I would agree uh, with you because I I love the other hosts on this network. I got to say, Mason, I'm so let's 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 go to the 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 whole Manafort thing. So first of all, can can you and I just get a consensus on? I I hate the campaign finance garbage. See, in my opinion, the only reason we have campaign finance laws is because Democrats don't want Republicans contributing to their candidates at the same level that they contribute to. So it's a way of trying to suppress speech on behalf yeah. of people and especially small, small donors like people who donate small. You, the, the, the rules are set up so that you, it can catch you. You know, you get to a, a place where you actually have a little extra money to give and you can't give it because, well, there's a limit on that. And you can't give this before that date. And this is that. And that. so by the, by the time you make your way through the maze, you just put your money back. You're like, I, I'm, I'm, I don't want to get yep. I don't want to get in trouble. I'm not going to give. And that's, and that's the point. Union. Yeah. You money you want to. We should be able to spend it however we want to, whether if if. George Soros can create thousands of these think tanks to influence our, uh, you know, a, a state attorney generals, and he can do all of that in the background and the liberals don't care about that. Then why should people like Dinesh D'Souza, who was actually caught up in some of this drama, yep, he overgave and then, you know, was convicted. But Rosie O'Donnell overgave under pseudonyms and was never even tried. You see how that works? It's not even the same standard. They're not trying to be fair. They're trying to rule. I'm not trying to be fair. I want to dominate. I don't want to get along. I don't want to find common ground. They're crook. They're crooked, and they're dangerous, 
Everyone they have control over anyone's life on this planet is total domination. They do not believe in freedom. They don't understand freedom. So therefore, I want to make them a, a, a footnote in history. I want to destroy the, the progressive ideology in America. I want to take back control of our schools. I do not want to work with them. I want to destroy them. Well, all I got to say is that's what they're trying to do to us. So, it, you know, your, yep. your, your path is, is the one of most resistance in response to what they're doing. And, and if anybody who doesn't, doesn't understand what we're talking about, I'm going to go over later on in the show this story about this transgender driver's license bill. So over in Germany, I'm sure you've seen this, Germany, all the European countries, Denmark, places like that, they're giving an extra, uh, it's like a, a checkbox on the birth certificate. So you can put male, female, or X. And the X means no gender or gender fluid or whatever, whatever you like it to mean. You can select that for your child. So they want that on the driver's licenses because whatever you have on the birth documents, you can get on the driver's license. So they're now adding that. So in California, they wanted to do that. And this brilliant Republican legislator said, well, if we're going to decide about X, we need to also consider all 72 of the genders that are offered by Facebook. And so he entered each, seven, each of the 72 genders of Facebook that has created as an individual amendment to the bill so that all of those had to be considered before they could get to X. The wow. liberals knew if they argued over which of those was oh, okay, that they would obliterate their reasoning behind adding X. So they just table the whole thing and decided not to vote on it. So they so, have male, female, <laughs> and unnatural. Right. <laughs> no, okay, imaginary. Because your I DNA tells you what gender you are. Nature, the entire <laughs> purpose of every living creature is to reproduce itself. So these clowns are saying there are, I guess they're post-nature. I don't know what it is. But every, <laughs> every living creature's main desire, ask my 15-year-old granddaughter that I'm keeping close eyes on, reproduction. That's, <laughs> I don't understand none of this mess except to realize they are fallen. And they well, want to get up to compromise on our principles to make them comfortable in their sin. Absolutely. And we're not going to do it. Thank you so much, Mason. Give us the website as we go out to the break here. MasonWeaver.com. Easy to give me money. My books, tapes, everything's available online. MasonWeaver.com. Thank you, dear. I'm a fan of yours. Hey, thank you, Mason. It's good to talk to you. Talk to you again soon. Uh, right. We'll be back with more right after this. All right, guys? Stay there. take to live an uncommon life. Here's former Super Bowl winning coach Tony Dungy with today's Uncommon Moment. In practice each week, our team would run our plays against the look squad. That's what we call our backup players who simulate the other team's techniques as closely as possible. When we run a play and see it executed successfully in practice, we have the confidence to run it successfully during the game. Visualization increases chances of success not just in football, but in any area of life. Think of life as practice and the visions and instructions of Scripture as a look squad. When you read God's Word on a regular basis, you'll discover what your future holds. Seeing God in your tomorrow is the key to having confidence and courage today. 
New York Times best-selling author Tony Dungy. Discover more at CoachDungy.com. That's CoachDungy.com. Coming next week on The Dwelling Place. Pastor Al Pittman continues to walk us through the Bible line by line and verse by verse to let God show us just how timeless His truth is. That's next week on The Dwelling Place. Lonnie Poindexter. Don't ever ask God for patience. <laughs> Just say, oh, Lord, help me to be more patient. No, don't do that. Well, why, Lonnie? Why shouldn't I do that? He'll give it to you, but you're not going to like how you get it. <laughs> well, Lonnie, what do you mean? How do you get patience? Trials and tribulations, my brethren. That's how you get it. Lion Chasers. Weekday mornings at 10 Central on Urban Family Talk. This is Just a Minute with Stacey Washington. There's a new slogan out, you are enough. It's the latest foray into convincing people that self-love is the pathway to freedom and success. This is just repackaged self-esteem nonsense of the same variety preached by secular thought leaders a few decades ago. Instead of going to church, we are encouraged to go to sporting events and huge stadiums on Sunday or stay home and read the newspaper. Instead of studying the word of God, we're told to meditate on ourselves while holding crystals and humming. How ridiculous. Joy comes from knowing who we are in Christ. Philippians 2.3 says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. So in essence, the opposite of everything we've heard. The meek will inherit the earth. Confidence comes from working hard and living a godly life. Instead of looking for self-esteem, look for God in his scriptures, in his creation, in serving people. I'm Stacy Washington. Find out more at StacyOnTheRight.com. Welcome back to Stacy on the Right on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. Okay, so you said you wanted Manafort to be innocent. Why? Because even his critics said he was a brilliant man at what he did. And why wouldn't Trump want him to help with the campaign? Um, but you're a, you are a President Trump supporter. I am, very much so. So what did you think about the charges being brought against Manafort? Did you think, you said going in, you wanted to think that he was innocent. Did you think they were legitimate on the front end versus what you ultimately decided on the back end? Well, the charges were legitimate, but the prosecution tried to make the case about the Russian collusion right, right from the beginning. And of course, the judge shut them down on that. Mm -hmm. We did waste a bit of time with that shenanigans, but... Um, yeah. Did the president's name come up in jury deliberations? Was this politicized in any way? It was just because in the evidence um, there were references to Trump and to his son-in-law and to the Trump campaign, um, especially with the Steve Kalk and the pay-to-play issue. Uh, so, yeah, it did come up. Did you feel like there were jurors who were either like yourself, pro-President Trump or anti, and that, that influenced their reasoning in any way? No, I don't. I think we all went in there like we were supposed to and assumed that Mr. Manafort was innocent. We did due diligence, we applied the evidence, our notes, the witnesses, and we came up with the guilty verdicts on the eight counts. So the 11 of 
Uh, welcome back to the show, everybody. Thanks to Mason Weaver for coming on and joining in today. It was great to speak with him, and he's always brilliant in his analysis. And I, I want to want to just point you guys to the fact that you know it was the two of us having a conversation, um, and and he happens to be of the permanent tan as I am. Yet we're both able to think clearly and see our way past all of the accusations of racism that are constantly leveled towards Republicans. And so if he and I can see through it and so many other, and and I know I always get dinged on this when I say there are millions of black conservatives. Well, there are 40 million blacks in America, right? So if there, if 10% of black Americans are moderate to conservative, then that's around 4 million, right? Okay. So millions is more than one. So I'm right. So, yeah, millions of blacks and uh, black Americans uh, can see past these so-called allegations of racism and are making it in America because I've yet to meet a black Republican who is, you know, uh, poverty stricken. All all uh, it's as as Ann Coulter says, we have the best blacks. I loved it when she said that. I just laughed and laughed and laughed when she was on TV. And she said, so matter of factly, oh, of course, he's a Republican. We have the best blacks. (laughs) And if you can't sit up and laugh at that, come on. I mean, this this is America. We have the right to be tickled when somebody says something that's just brutally honest and also hilarious. And so when Mason and I were talking just now, it just occurred to me, you know, not at one point did we have to argue about whether or not Republicans are racist, because that is just a figment of the imagination of the left. They have to argue that because otherwise they have to talk policy and they got nowhere to go on policy. Yeah, there there are racists in every political party, but is the Republican Party the party of racists? If you believe that, you need to get your Dinesh D'Souza education on. He's done all the documentaries about the so-called switch where all the racists were once Democrats and then they moved to the Republican Party. That is already. Yeah, no. mm -mm, Sorry. No. So. Just coming to the break there, we redid that audio so you could hear the end where Paula Duncan talks about how all these jurors are on this this deliberation and they're on this panel, they're on this jury and they're considering the evidence against Paul Manafort in the beginning. You know, the judge really had to take the prosecution to task because they kept talking about uh, collusion and trying to drag Trump into it. When the charges that they leveled were all about bank fraud, tax evasion, et cetera, et cetera. And when he got finally got them to just let go of their little, you know, their little pacifier, which is Trump collusion. When he finally got them weaned off of that, they had a case. She, Shannon Bream says, you said you wanted to believe he was innocent, but it wasn't that jurors wanted him to be innocent or wanted to believe he was innocent. She said she personally did because he was an expert and he was said to be a good person. And so she wanted to believe that he was innocent. But the fact is, everyone is innocent. Shannon Bream's innocent. Paula Duncan is innocent. I'm innocent until proven guilty. That is our God-given right under the Constitution of the United States. You are not just thought to be innocent. You are not just, I want you to be innocent. You are innocent until a jury of your peers says otherwise. So that distinction needs to be made because I think too often we allow the left to shape the conversation. They frame everything as Republican, automatically guilty, also a racist, also mean, likes to kick puppies and, you know, roast uh, you know, baby toes for 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 dinner every night in, in secret, cloven hooves, etc. That's why I say the cloven hoof things about when Democrats get happy about something. I refer to their trotters or their cloven hooves because that's the stuff they say about us. I, I I don't I don't care to hear how that's not right. I just that's what I do. So when I when you're talking about 
this whole case and how the, the judge basically had to smack these people across the hands over and over again to get them back on topic. And then they had uh, some testimony that they heard. One was from someone who flipped another bit of testimony from a woman who they found credible. They completely removed from consideration one bit of testimony because they felt like the guy flipped and he was so rabidly anti-Trump that he wasn't a good, credible witness against Manafort. So they went to the documents and they had boxes and boxes of folders that were numbered and labeled that they could look at that the prosecution said proved the case on all 18 of the charges. They had one holdout on 10 of the charges, which is why out of the 18, only eight were convicted on. She talked about that a little bit and also about the behavior of the Mueller team, which, again, fascinating interview with her. She really she was so calm and dispassionate that she had a lot of credibility with me, not because she's a Trump supporter, but because she really she articulated in numerous points throughout the interview how they approach this as their civic duty, which I find to be very honorable and admirable on their part to set aside their political leanings and really consider whether or not this man who they all thought, you know, this guy's an expert. He seems like a very decent person, but did he commit these crimes that he's being accused of? That's what we're here to decide. So we have to really look at this as jurors exercising our civic duty, which is given to us as citizens, the highest office holder in the land in America is the citizen. So let's listen to her finish up. I didn't get all of it. I wasn't going to let you listen to all of Shannon Bream's show on my show. But this part I thought was pretty important. It's number three. First of all, the Mueller team, what did you make of the prosecutors? Well, at times I thought the prosecution was a little bored. I mean, I, I saw them napping during the trial. Napping during the trial. Andres and Van Grack especially. Um, yeah. So it, it kind of sent a message of, we're bored with this. And I'm thinking, well, if you're bored, then why are we here? Mm -hmm. But ultimately, they did a good enough job to convince you on several of these. Um, the paper. The paper trail. Correct. Yes. OK, because they, there were overwhelming amounts of documents. And I know that the judge at many times was trying to limit um, pictures and testimony about expensive items uh, and all kinds of things. But certainly, he left in the documents that he felt were the relevant ones you all needed. Correct. Okay, so let's talk about the Manafort team and the decision for Mr. Manafort himself not to testify. Did that influence you at all? It did. I understand why they didn't do it. I mean, we're supposed to assume he's innocent and therefore he does not need to defend himself. And the judge made that very clear, that there is no requirement for him to do so. However, just based on what I saw, what I heard, I think I would have liked to have heard a little more from the defense, they gave a very easygoing um, at atmosphere to the whole thing. They objected to very little mm -hmm. and appeared agreeable throughout it all. Uh, their crosses were even very short when they, they cross-examined cross the witnesses. So I, I don't know. I, I just, I think I expected a little more. Okay. Now. So apparently it was a very, um, it was an easygoing type of a response from them. And I, I really don't have a lot of, like, I, I've read a few articles. Some people are putting forward that um, the reason why he did that is because he was running the table. He figured he only needed one juror to object to the charges and one juror is enough for the jury to be hung and it's an acquittal. Um, and so he, he possibly could have, you know, been been using that strategy. 
it also could have been that with 18 counts and the way the, um, you know, the, the, the way things were occurring, that perhaps he thought, you know, I don't, I don't stand a chance here. I'm going to be convicted on at least one of these counts. I've got 18 counts. They're going to convict me on something. And so they didn't exert themselves. It might have been the type of legal representation that he obtained. I, we, we don't, we're not going to know that unless he writes a book, right? Or, or unless he gives an interview himself. And I think it's highly unlikely. What I find so stunning about Manafort's being held, you know, in, in jail is that they have him in solitary confinement 23 hours a day. He hasn't raped or killed anybody. He hasn't kidnapped anyone. He's not in there on RICO charges. He's, he's in prison for, um, these are like white-collar crimes. These are white-collar crimes. And he's in solitary confinement. So, I, look, I'm not a Manafort junkie. I've, I've never heard of the guy until he came onto the Trump campaign to handle the so-called broker convention. I don't know anyone who knows Paul Manafort, at least that I'm aware of. So this isn't like a personal thing for me, but I find it heartbreaking that someone can commit a white-collar crime and be in solitary confinement away from human interaction 23 hours a day for months on end while other people who rape women, rape children, et cetera, et cetera, are out in, in the, the, they're imprisoned, obviously, but they're out, sometimes they're out of jail before Paul Manafort's entire prosecution has occurred. They serve less than a year in prison for doing things like that. Some of these people, they go into prison and they're in these prisons where they, they have access to a library, a gym, they have a television room, they're eating three meals a day with you know their new friends in prison. I'm not discounting the severity of life in prison, but I'm saying it's one thing to be in prison. It's another thing to be in solitary confinement for 23 hours a day. It's wrong. It's wrong. And, and so, you know, I don't know all of the ins and outs on how they how they're like, well, you have to be in solitary confinement. I don't know if he did something to deserve that. As far as I can read, he hasn't done anything specifically to deserve being confined but the, just just look at the lengths to which people on the left will go to get Donald Trump. I mean, it's it's astounding. It's it's truly astounding. And I, I for one, I can't actually there's no justification for it unless he's biting people or, you know, shiving people. And, and that's why they put him in solitary confinement. And we have no evidence of that because, you know, that would be on the news. Someone would say Donald Trump made him shiv somebody in a prison. That's what people would say. So we know that's not happening. So I'm, you know, whew, we're going to take calls in the first segment of the second hour. That's how we're going to handle this. We're going to because we usually take calls now, but we only have three minutes left in this segment. So if you want to get in the call queue, the call lines are 866-963-2037. You can weigh in on anything that we've covered this whole hour. Mason's interview, uh, the Manafort jury uh, participant, Paula Duncan, the transgenders bill. So I want to give you the last little bit of information on that because I kind of covered it the whole thing while we were talking to Mason Weaver. And what's so interesting about this is that I love the little graphic. If you're watching one of the streams, look, this is one of the signs on the bathrooms in North Carolina after they passed that bill restricting transgender bathroom access. The 21C Museum Hotel in Durham, North Carolina, made a hybrid man and woman with the note underneath that says, we don't care. And that was their new bathroom sign. You know, people are going to people. I tell you what. So this bill to allow the third gender option, oh, it's on Massachusetts driver's licenses, was derailed when the legislator forced the vote on the 73 gender options available on Facebook. So how he pulled this off was 
he used a procedural maneuver. As is procedurally required, each of the amendments were to be given 10 minutes for debate and three for voting. With the knowledge that his Democratic colleagues could not explain away any of the genders without undoing the ideology of transgenderism, which holds that biological sex is socially constructed and gender is innate, Lyons introduced each of the 73 genders as a separate amendment on the evening of July 31st. After he filed 35 of them, House leadership saw that he was running out the clock and they would not have sufficient time before the midnight deadline to pass the driver's license bill and other legislation on the docket. Accordingly, the Democratic leadership withdrew the bill at 1045 p.m. so they could get the rest of their priorities taken care of. And because they just didn't want to argue about the 73 genders because there is no argument that supports it cogently, that they wanted to be on tape, you know, because they eventually have to come back up for election. There's two reasons why this story is super important. The first reason, this is what it looks like when you go to war prepared. This guy knew just arguing on its face about the one bill, the X designation on the driver's licenses, he wasn't going to win that because they'd already prepared for that. So he went the extra mile. He went the, not just the extra mile, but he looked into the procedures and said, well, I know how a bill is filed. You got to have 10 minutes plus three minutes for, uh, for voting. So 10 minutes plus three minutes for voting. And then he looked around and said, who else is talking about genders? Well, Facebook. Facebook has become so ubiquitous that you can't discount what they're doing. They're actually creating policy through their actions on that platform because so many of us participate on it. And so if it's good for Facebook, he's basically asserting that it's good for Massachusetts. And he knew that those legislators didn't want to have to argue about what Facebook is doing. Brilliant. This is how you win. This is how you fight. You fight with all of the tools that are available to you. I commend this man. Let me let me not just call him this man. Um, Representative Jim Lyons of Andover, Massachusetts, Republican. I salute you, sir. If we had a segment called I salute you, sir, he'd be the banner winner for this week. That's winning. That's the way it's done. All right. Hour one. That's over. Hour two is up next. Thanks for being here, but stay right there. Family Talk.